for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's episode features Father Paul Koska and Brother Andrew Brebuff as they are joined by three guests to share about the Holy Land formation exercise of the Servants of Christ Jesus. To learn more about the Servants, please visit scjesus.org. Hi, and welcome to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. I'm Edward Lugo, the project manager for the Servants, and today I have several people to introduce as they all share about the Israel formation exercise of the Servants. So first of all, welcome back to Father Paul. Thank you. And welcome back for the second time to Brother Andrew. Great to be here, Ed. And uh, making their historic first ever appearance on the podcast, we have three men who are students at the University of Denver, and I will just let them introduce themselves. I guess I'll start. I'm Jack. Uh, It's awesome to be here. I've always wanted to be on a podcast, so (laughs) bucket list, check. Dreams come true, Jack. I'm James. I just graduated from the University of Denver. I have also always wanted Jack to be on a podcast, so (laughs) check. Another dream fulfilled. (laughs) I'm Carl Berner. I'm a junior at the University of Denver. Perfect. And no... uh, you never wanted Jack to be on the podcast? No, this is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, today we are talking about the Holy Land pilgrimage and mission trip of the servants. Um, in 2005, Father Paul first went to the Holy Land when he was 20 years old. That's correct, right? You were 20? Yeah, that's right. And uh, he led a pilgrimage and mission trip to the Holy Land this last year for Brother Andrew after he completed, after Brother Andrew completed his 30-day. And we'll get into more detail about that as we talk. And then Father Paul invited Carl, James, and Jack to join them on the trip, which is obviously why you guys are here. So now that I think we've covered all the basics, let's get started. Father Paul, can you just give a brief overview of what the Israel formation exercise is of the servants? You know, specifically things like when this exercise happens in the formation of a servant and what the purpose of this formation exercise is. So normally the uh, Israel pilgrimage happens during novitiate. So sometime within the first two years of a person being the community, it's not like steadfast that it's always been that but that's the ideal that we have and it usually happens if not always happens right after the 30-day spiritual exercises and so the idea is that you have contemplated uh, Jesus in the 30-day and the spiritual exercises and then you're able to then go immediately after to to the Holy Land and to see the places that you had just contemplated and so Brother Tom, brother Andrew uh, had just made the 30-day earlier at the end of October, beginning of November, and then we went to Israel in late November. And then when I made the 30-day back in 2005, we, I think, went like literally a day afterwards uh, to the Holy Land. And so that's the when it takes place in formation. And then the second part of your question being what the purpose of it is. There's really four kind of fundamental components of why we do it. Uh, first is that it gives us an immersion into the to the Old Testament, the people of Israel. Uh, it brings to life the reality of, you know, being at David's tomb, for example, it gives a greater sense of like David being actually a real person. 
And so it connects us to the Old Testament with the people of Israel and the actual land of Israel itself, which is pertinent for the Old Testament. Secondly, it's the place where Jesus spent most of his life, you know, except for his time in Egypt. He, Jesus was in the land of Israel. And so being able to experience the places where Jesus grew up and then where he did his ministry has a particular significance in, in terms of being able to get a grasp on the gospels in a different way. And, and it makes things more real to encounter Jesus where he actually lived his life. And then the two saints that are influential in the servant spirituality, St. Ignatius and St. Francis of Assisi themselves uh, experienced the Holy Land and went to the Holy Land. So uh, Francis, who was chronologically before Ignatius, Francis went to the Holy Land on pilgrimage. And then Francis's community, the Franciscans, still run the holy places today. Um, and so Francis is intimately connected with the Holy Land. And then Ignatius, uh, Ignatius made a poverty pilgrimage of sorts, and he made his poverty pilgrimage in on his way to the Holy Land and then in the Holy Land. And so uh, in Ignatius's autobiography, it describes a little bit of his time actually being in Jerusalem and things. And so because of the Old Testament, New Testament, and then both uh, for St. Francis and for St. Ignatius, it's an impactful experience. And so for those reasons, we go to the Holy Land. Okay, so you first went in 2005, and you you just said impactful experience. What What was the experience like for you first going in 2005 after completing your 30-day? Yeah, so, I mean, it was 15 years ago, and I've been back, you know, I think – most recently when I went, it was my fourth time. Uh, so it's not entirely easy to parse out, you yeah. know, exactly, you know, different experiences, but I would say a few things that, you know, stuck out from the first time that I went was, um, the, just the impact of being able to be where Jesus was and to have contemplated all these different things and then to actually be, in the Church of the Nativity and the grotto where Jesus was born, uh, that particular place, uh, every time I've gone back was impactful, but in particular the first time that I went, just realizing like this is the spot where Jesus was born. Uh, so there was something impactful about that. The other kind of thing that was unexpectedly impactful about it was in the different times that we've gone, and in particular the first time we went, we went and uh, served with Palestinian Christians on like a, you know, mini mission trip within the, the time that we were there. And I had never really done international mission work or like service to the poor outside of like the United States. And so being able to uh, encounter people uh, who are Christians and Catholics, but living in, you know, conditions that were difficult, it made me appreciate uh, the mission of the church and the call to mission. And so I've had the opportunity since that initial Israel pilgrimage and exposure to mission work, if you will, to then have, be able to do it and lead other people on it, both in Israel and other places in the world. But it, the initial sort of inspiration for mission came from my first experience in Israel. And, and we'll talk more about the specifics of this later, but 
uh, just so that it's clear for everyone, for you guys, this isn't just a pilgrimage. It's also historically been a mission trip. And this year, where did you guys go for the mission portion of this trip? Yeah, so we, and the first time I went, we went to Jifna, which is a town in the West Bank, and then Abud in the next two times that I went. And then most recently, we went at a unique time. The other times that we've done trips to Israel, they've been during the summer. And so when we went this time, I reached out to all the normal places I reached out to. And they're like, it's like the min- middle of our semester. Like we don't, we can't host you like in the middle of the fall semester. Like we don't have the, all of our kids are in school and all these things. So we ended up uh, then contacting, I contacted the seminary in Bethlehem and then uh, asked and then reached out to a school in the Bethlehem vicinity. And so we ended up serving at a school in Beit Zahur, uh, which is basically like a neighborhood of Bethlehem. And so we stayed at the seminary and then served at this school. And then we also got to work with the missionaries of charity a little bit, but it was basically because we, nobody else could host us. Uh, Nice. Well, good. Uh, so first let's talk about the pilgrimage part of this trip, and then we'll talk a little bit about the mission part of this trip. We've talked on the podcast about how the spiritual exercises, and you talked a little bit about it at the beginning of this, how it involves making use of your imagination to contemplate Christ in the gospels and to put yourself into a scene in scripture. And so brother Andrew, you know, I have to ask you, you spent 30 days in October, November, contemplating literally the entire life of Christ. And, uh, and then when you were finished, you got on a plane. I mean, I know it wasn't right away, but you got on a plane and then you went to all these places where Christ walked and preached and, and healed. Can you share just about what it was like to go and to see the places that you were just contemplating in your imagination? How did it, how did it affect or alter the experience of your 30 day? Yeah, I think the first thing that was really striking for me when going there was just the the reality that Jesus and Galilee and Nazareth and Jerusalem and everything that happened in my exercises, everything I was contemplating on is actually history. I think sometimes we can almost spiritualize the faith so much that mm. we forget that these are actually historical places that the son of God actually shed his blood for us, that he actually grew up in this small town in the middle of nowhere. So actually seeing the historical places uh, matched up with a lot of my prayer. But I'd say more than anything, I think after the 30 day, I had such a close relationship with Jesus because you walk with him his entire life. And so you're with Jesus holding him on the day he's born. And then your next meditation, you're walking out of Egypt with him and you're excited to go back home. And then you're sitting in a caravan in a wagon, traveling to Jerusalem, getting excited to celebrate the Passover. And then you're saying goodbye to Mary and leaving to go preach and share the gospel. And then you're healing people with Jesus and you're being arrested with Jesus. Uh, And you have like this intimate relationship because you've shared so much life with him. And so to be able to go to the place where he grew up and the place where all this actually occurred and took place and where, in a sense, he was just showing me around, showing me this is where this actually happened. Uh, It was really intimate entering into a deeper relationship with him. But I think even more than that, it was almost like it was a continuation of the 30 day where I could go to Nazareth and I could kneel down by where the home of Mary was, where the Annunciation happened. And I could enter back into my meditation actually, Mm. or I could go to the shepherd's church in Bethlehem and I could close my eyes and enter back into the meditation and talk to the same shepherd I talked to a month ago. 
uh, about the birth of Jesus and enter back into that joy. And probably the most specific one was at the Holy Sepulcher at the foot of the cross, which was probably uh, the closest I was to Jesus on the 30 day and being able to kneel down at the physical historical place where that actually happened, where man was redeemed uh, and close my eyes and kind of forget about all the tourists buzzing by and forget about all the news and all the noise and everything happening and just be able to actually enter back into that meditation and talk to Jesus and see Jesus and look at Jesus. It was almost as if the meditation was more real than the historical place in some way. Um, so I think the biggest fruit was probably entering back into the meditations, which I did just about every place we go. The DU guys probably know my 30 day as well as my spiritual director <laughs> because I want to stop talking about it the whole time. And so you brought your 30 day journal with you and you'd read through meditations in specific places. Yeah, that's correct. It's a prayer in the Holy Land is just interesting because you never know what's going to happen. You could go to this great cathedral and the Holy Spirit doesn't say a thing, or you can go to this random obscure chapel in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden your prayer is blessed. Mm. So you would go and either pray a decade of the rosary or pray through scripture. I went through a lot of my 30 day again mm -hmm. and kind of enter into whatever prayer and just see where the spirit takes you. Cool. Now, did any places look exactly like you imagined them? I mean, obviously it's we're in the modern world and there's, you know, cars and stuff like that. But were there any places that in the Holy Land looked exactly like you imagined it to look in your meditation on your 30 day? No, not at all. <laughs> it's very different. Um, How did you deal with that? Was that was that hard to adjust? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, it was really hard, especially in places like Jerusalem, where there's so many tourists and where so many churches have been built up. And that's why I think maybe my favorite place to go was actually Galilee, because Galilee, as much as the Holy Land has been touched, Galilee in some sense remains untouched. So when I'm sitting at the shore of the Sea of Galilee and sitting on a rock and entering into prayer, praying my rosary, and I see the sun setting over the sea, I mean, it's the same sunset that Jesus saw. It's really the same view. Not much has changed in it. So the Sea of Galilee was probably the closest to where my meditations were at. Uh, and it was just so interesting entering into the and saying jesus saw this exact same sunset and it probably looked almost exactly the mm. same as it does now yeah. uh, but the other places were very different uh, to enter into now father paul your community is so rooted in the lives of the old testament prophets and patriarchs and you mentioned at the beginning you know i think a lot of times when modern americans think of the holy land the only th we just think about jesus the life of jesus where jesus walked but you guys are so rooted in the Old Testament prophets and patriarchs. So I imagine that you guys went on pilgrimages to other sites like you talked about. What other Old Testament sites do you guys try to visit while you're there? Yeah, I could maybe describe three different ones that just come to mind right off the top of my head. One would be uh, we went to uh, Haifa, which is where Mount Carmel is and the prophet Elijah was. We also went to the beach there uh, and <laughs> got some time in the Mediterranean. But uh, but I'm sure Elijah went there too. Uh, yeah, you know, he needed to cool off as well because it was hot back then. Um, so we actually had a pretty difficult time getting to that to that monastery because we were like, it was really actually a frustrating experience trying it's to get a there. Maze. It was a maze, but we got there eventually and uh, and there's a cave at the back of the church where uh, Elijah would have prayed as he was uh, basically in hiding because the the king and queen of Israel at the time were didn't want him to be alive and so 
so that was kind of an unexpected blessing because you know i had basically at as we were trying to find this place like almost to the point of despair of like we're never going to find this and then it ended up being a really awesome prayerful place in my opinion and so so it was a unexpected blessing of being able to encounter elijah after having to search for a while so carmel which is in modern day haifa uh, the other place that we visited was Hebron, and Hebron is where Abraham and Sarah are buried, amongst, I think, Rebecca and Isaac as well. And so Hebron's kind of a crazy place because it's a very contested area between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And so it's an awesome place to visit, but you're also kind of a little bit on edge when you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like when we were walking up, there was like, you could see like a guard tower with a guy with a assault rifle, you know, and and he was guarding the place. Like he yeah. wasn't threatening us, but it's still kind of like an intense, more intense kind of feeling of tension there than, than other places that we visited, not to freak anybody out to go. Uh, but so Abraham and being able to pray there was a, an awesome experience. So Hebron, Carmel, and then the last place uh, was, and this was actually a new experience on this particular trip was we did a there's they've recently opened uh, a tour basically around and and underneath part of like the temple area and so for the past i think 10 years they've been doing these excavations and and so we got to spend more time around the temple area and this like underground excavation uh, than i had ever been on before and so and and we went uh, into the area where Jewish men are praying right up against both the wailing wall, but also there's a, a further further area where you can pray. And so uh, you see bar mitzvahs happening yeah. and you just see different people praying. And, and it's yeah, amazing to see, you know, after all these thousands of years that, you know, people, men uh, and people in general are, are praying really intensely and intentionally. And so, so that was some of the places that connected with the Old Testament. Okay, so I'm sure that many people who are listening to this podcast understand the difference between a pilgrimage and a vacation, but some people don't. Carl, can you just explain what a pilgrimage is and how the servant's schedule and priorities reflected the nature of this experience as a pilgrimage and not, not just as a vacation? Yeah, so uh, there are a lot of reasons why our travel experience looked a lot different than the average person traveling to the Holy Land. One thing that I w- that was interesting is that uh, when we were down there, we were learning about a Benedictine monk named Barjol Pixner, who describes the Holy Land as the fifth gospel. So, it, it, you know, in the same way that you can encounter Christ in the gospel stories by reading the stories of Jesus and the words of Jesus, I think you can encounter Christ by visiting the Holy Land and walking where he walked and praying where he prayed. And so there's um, there's an intentionality to a pilgrimage that's all about um, encountering Jesus. And so how that looked practically is that you know, we would have a day where we'd go to a holy site and if there was um, a situation like Brother Andrew was describing where there's just really fruitful prayer in, in kind of a random spot and it's, it's there's a lot of consolation, we would just stay there. We wouldn't necessarily feel like we need to 
to move on and check boxes. Uh, it was more about in- encountering Christ wherever he was in the Holy Land for us. Another big part of it is that we didn't bring our smartphones down, uh, or at least we turned them off on, on the plane right there and turned them back on when we got back into the States. And um, so the average tour group, you know, is, is getting in a tour bus and being led by a tour guide and, and taking their smartphones out and taking pictures of everything. And then uh, in their hotels, they might Google Maps, like where they're headed and all that kind of stuff. We did things a little bit differently. <laughs> there, was a lot of, there was a lot of reading maps. There was a lot of talking to locals. Um, and there was a lot of kind of wandering around and, and looking for where we wanted to go. Like Father uh, Paul was describing with, with our uh, journey to Mount Carmel, our, our own ascent of Mount Carmel. Um, <laughs> we we didn't have Google Maps to uh, tell us which exit to take, so we were you know reading the Hebrew and doing our best. Uh, so anyway, there there was just a lot more of um, an intentionality to entering into something a little bit more uh, similar to Jesus's experience in the Holy Land. Now I know the servants do a holy hour every day. Did you guys? join them in doing that every day oh yeah we were like mini servants it was awesome (laughs) so so the holy hour and then we were also praying uh uh, the liturgy of the hours throughout the day Mm -hmm. with with the servants and then we often did our own examinations of conscience uh when they did so there was a lot of entering into the spirituality of the servants of christ jesus all right james can you explain we talked at the beginning a little bit about the the mission trip in where was it Beit Sahur. Beit Sahur. Can you explain just more in detail what you guys did, how you served this school in Beit Sahur, and just what were the fruits of that mission work? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually joined uh, a week late because I had engagements that I had to be present at. So I flew into Israel and immediately started out on the, the missionary work and the service work. And it was... I was a little I was a little anxious about that because I was like, oh man, this might be really hard, might be really strenuous, uh, and I just had a strenuous week because of this engagement. Is this going to be okay? And it was fantastic. So we were volunteering during the day at the Greek Catholic School, which I guess is just what it's called. Uh, it's just called the Greek Catholic School, where we would help teachers with whatever they needed help with Mm -hmm. Uh, usually that was helping out in the English classes Um, you know talking to the kids in English helping them practice their English if they're the little kids you help them learn their letters the little bit older kids you can try speaking in sentences to them and honestly they're really fast learners you know i i've failed to learn really any other language other than english and they're speaking arabic and speaking english and reading it both ways and it's really awesome and impressive just to see those young minds just growing and knowing that we were able to be a part of that was really awesome really fruitful really consoling And then when the school day ended, at night, we would head right on over to the Missionaries of Charity, uh, some of the most beautiful people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And we were kind of organizing party bags for, I guess, like an event for for kids who would other, a Christmas event for kids who would otherwise uh, not be getting anything. Mm -hmm. There were like candy and gifts and treats in these bags Mm -hmm. uh, for the kids at at a more underprivileged school. And so that was really awesome. 
uh, to work with them. And the missionaries of charity live the, mo- the most beautifully simple prayer focused life that, that you could imagine. We spent like a few hours just filling party bags praying the rosary out loud like that was our conversation just mm-hmm. praying the rosary out loud and it was absolutely wonderful and how many days were you guys on the mission part of the trip yeah that was a full a full seven days out of the out of the four weeks we were there that took up an entire week all right jack you know a lot of people know the servants you know they have brief interactions with them or they might be at a mass with them not a lot of people get the experience of traveling with and then also living with the servants for an entire month on pilgrimage. What did you learn about the servants from this experience? Well, I want to start with three words. (laughs) (laughs) Prayer, pain, (laughs) penance. Do you want to expand on that? To to get down to it. uh, The servants are hardcore. The servants, they they actually are so much fun. And and there's so much joy in their life. But they're they're disciplined. And I'm looking right now at the servants' shoes. And they're the same shoes that we walked seven to eight miles a day in, in Israel, on cobblestones and dirt up Masada as Father Paul wore his his nice cassock <laughs> in 90 degree weather he must have just been soaked in sweat as we went up Masada it was incredible and brother Andrew has has a tear in his shoe right now because he was just breaking ankles on the basketball court uh, yeah so they're pretty awesome and they really do live like saint ignatius intended to live and how the pilgrimage is intended to be done and they are just so rooted in prayer so we wake up they always find like adoration a way for us to to do eucharistic adoration and it it was pretty special that they were able to hook us up and, and like Father Paul would always seek out a, a way to get mass, and, and they really trust in the Lord for, for some way to make mass work out for us every day. And, and it, it was a special trip because I don't know if things just work out for Father Paul. Like, <laughs> we, we wouldn't know what we'd be doing that night. We didn't know how we'd get into a chapel, but... Father Paul would give Brother Andrew some mission, like, I need you to find me Mass at uh, <laughs> the Holy Sepulchre tonight. And Brother Andrew would take off and somehow figure it out. And that just shows the obedience involved in the servant's lifestyle. Mm. They also, uh, we, we joked a lot and we had a lot of fun. I remember it just being really late at night. We'd be tired because they, they go to bed early late and rise early Mm -hmm. and it'd be like 9 p.m and we'd be going to bed but they'd stay because they'd be doing their examine and like every time i saw brother andrew he'd be on his knees praying it was incredible like how much these men pray Mm -hmm. and uh are in touch with the lord so yeah i think everything that that we've learned about the servants is true and they really live this life that's close to Jesus. And uh, 
it, it was really fun to be around them. You can see the fruits uh, and the joy because they protect the the noise of the world. No phones on the trip. They they really focus on having the Holy Spirit speak to them. They're always evangelizing everyone we met with. Like the conversation would always turn to God, which was pretty awesome. You, Brother Andrew. Whoever he's sitting with next to on the plane, he's going to bring up God to them. And, and that was fun. Also, they have a strict diet, but <laughs> on feast days, <laughs> you got to find the meat. <laughs> and they love to treat themselves on the feast day. So so with, they, they follow this liturgical calendar very well. And, and we're praying the liturgy of the hours. So these days of celebration... We always get ice cream or something. I remember one night we were like, we got this big like quart of gelato or something. (laughs) And we just were eating this whole thing of gelato together and drinking beer, looking out over the Sea of Galilee. So the servants have a lot of fun too. And I don't think that can be forgotten. Like you got to note that they... (laughs) they're disciplined but they also celebrate when when it's time to celebrate nice so maybe prayer penance pain and fun yes (laughs) yes discipline equals freedom all right uh so just two final questions if i could just get from everyone just a short answer about first what was the greatest fruit that came from this pilgrimage slash mission trip in your in your own lives and you can go in whatever order you want yeah i would say for me it had to be the prayer um the prayer in the holy land it's just different people always talk about when you go there there's something in the air there's something transcendent you recognize and i didn't recognize that at first but over time you definitely realize uh that it's a different place and so specifically praying in the holy sepulcher and praying at the place where, again, the Son of God redeemed the world and entering into that sorrow, uh, but then taking 30 steps over and praying where Jesus met Mary Magdalene and entering into the joy of the resurrection. So the biggest fruit for me really was entering back into the Ignatian meditations um, and there's this constant relationship with Jesus and kind of Jesus like like a best friend showing me his hometown and showing me where he came from and where he grew up and how he kind of became the man he was that we know in the Gospels. Awesome. Also prayer for me, um, I just, when you've been off your phone, as someone who's on their phone a lot, when you've been off your phone for so many weeks and you replace that amount of time with praying, by the end of the trip, I could just feel that my brain was just working differently. I was, my, I, had a, I had a more prayerful brain somehow. It was absolutely wonderful just to be able to put myself in that mindset so easily and so wonderfully. And when, when, he came, when we came back, we were saying to each other, we gotta, we gotta live like that more. We gotta pray more. Because we, I don't think I've ever prayed so much uh, until I was in the Holy Land. And now, I, I, I kinda want that, that sort of life of prayer. Hmm. That's definitely, definitely the main fruit for me. Nice. Yeah, I... I'm going to be prayer number three. <laughs> Get on the prayer bandwagon. <laughs> yeah. It, as a college student, you do not pray as much as the servants pray. So you're like, you start your holy hour, and then a little bit later, 
you're like, oh, it's time for liturgy of the hours, and then it's time for that again, and then it's time for that again. <laughs> you go to mass somewhere in between there, but you get so much closer to Jesus, and there's no better place to do it and to get more interested in Jesus than in the place where Jesus was. Mm-hmm. So the, I ended that trip with a desire to find Jesus and a desire to pray more, to know him more. Awesome. Yeah, I was, I was going to say prayer, but to be interesting, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think a big part of it for me uh, as someone who doesn't always do a great job being able to imagine things in contemplative prayer, um, having images and having places uh, and people even to remind me of the reality uh of uh, Jesus Christ and the Old Testament and the patriarchs and things of that nature. Um, that's a huge fruit that's still pre- playing a part in my, in my spiritual life today. Awesome. Yeah, I think for me, one of the unique things about this trip in particular was uh, being able to, well, one, go back after having been a priest for a number of years. So I, I went to Israel right after I got ordained. So there was something beautiful and, and a rich experience about being able to celebrate mass for the first time on that trip, but being able to go back and be re-renewed in the Lord after having been a priest for a while was, I think, a, a great grace. The other thing that you know stuck out to me on this trip was like the cohesion of the group, you know, yeah. because Jack, Carl, and and James were all. DU students living together in a household community. There was a unity amongst them. And then, you know, Brother Andrew and I had uh, our community members together. So there was like these two different units that became like one sort of unified thing. And it it was really amazingly seamless, uh, in my opinion. And also just like really uh, fruitful to be able to, it wasn't like, you know, we, everybody was like, all right, we're waiting for brother Andrew again, you know, for, cause he's, you know, contemplating the face of Jesus, but like, <laughs> and we'll, we're all like standing outside, like, you know, there wasn't like that. Like everybody was entering into the prayerfulness, you know, everybody was entering into the, the holy hours. And, and so there was just something amazingly kind of unified during the trip, even though, you know, brother Andrew and I are religious and then there are college students. There was this it was a seamless trip of people really immersing themselves in the life of Jesus, but also in the life of the, the prayer of the community. Okay. Last question. If everyone can answer this one too, what was your most memorable experience or the, the place that you're never going to forget or the experience that you're never going to forget from this pilgrimage? So there was a, there was a moment where we were um, in Capernaum and we were praying evening prayer uh, on the seashore. And before we prayed evening prayer, we were skipping rocks and just talking about life. And it was so wonderful. And then we began Vespers and we, and we prayed and we watched as the sun kind of set over the mountains on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it like set perfectly as Vespers ended, like as we <laughs> you know, finished our prayer. And it was one of those moments where you're just like god is god is so good to mm-hmm. me right now you know so that was that was a moment that i will certainly never forget there's a the grotto underneath the church of the nativity and the first time i went 
it was really good, but it was also a little bit rushed because we had to get to the missionaries of charity because I had come a week late. So the second time we went was very close to the end and I really had the time to go into that grotto and stick my head in that little nook where the medallion is and just, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. It's just, it's so hard for me to verbalize, but I'll just never forget sticking my head in that little nook in the grotto where Jesus was born. Hmm. I'll I'll never forget it. We went to the Holy Sepulchre very early in the morning, one morning, to go to Mass. We, We were supposedly able to get Mass, and we were there for a long time. Father Paul was working his magic on some Franciscans. <laughs> and we didn't know if it was gonna gonna happen. People were like barring people outside of the tomb of Jesus. But finally Father Paul's like, follow me. <laughs> and <laughs> we all follow him and, and all these people crowd in and we just somehow slip into the tomb of Jesus and get mass from this Italian priest and it was the coolest thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would kind of echo Jack's Jack's experience of that story as one of the things that that stuck out the most. So, in the previous trip the one we had gone, uh the you could set it up ahead of time to schedule to both celebrate mass at Calvary and at the tomb. But the the Franciscan Pilgrim office had changed their policies, so you could basically only confirm a reservation at the at the cross or at the tomb but not both and so when i had gotten it initially scheduled we had mass at the cross and it was beautiful but i was kind of disappointed that we weren't going to get mass in the tomb and so i had heard that if we just show up like at the very beginning of the the day that you might be able to join into a mass and so even though we had already been to mass at the cross and a previous day we hadn't been to the mass of the tomb so we showed up at like four and i talked to the sacristan and he wasn't open to it he's like you don't have a reservation for today you had one for yesterday at the cross but you don't have one for the tomb today so i just like tried again at 4 30 and at 5 and then at 5 30 uh this and the the other guys were just praying and I was just stressing out, you know. <laughs> and uh This is a common a common story. Yeah. <laughs> they pray and I stress. He he uh, figures things out for us. It's though. also it's also common where Father Paul just repeatedly asks until <laughs> someone finally says yes. <laughs> and so I ask the sacristan again at five thirty and he, he says no, but at this point the Italian priest who's the actual like I think he was the provincial or he was, he was the main, he was like outranked everybody else in the sacristy mm-hmm. at this point. Right. And so the sacristan says no to me. And then this priest who's actual celebrants, like why and talking in Italian to this guy, like, why won't you let him <laughs> can celebrate mass with me? Mm-hmm. He's like, put on the alb, get ready. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and I explained to him like, Hey, I've got these guys who are with me, you know? And so they, that's how they ended up being able to get into the tomb as well. And so the, I mean, the thing about it was like, it was just such a beautiful thing to be able to be at the tomb, especially having, having tried multiple times and, and with the policy having changed, you know, but to still be able to be there 
to be where Jesus was uh, was was a great gift um, and then yeah so that was probably the greatest gift was to be able to have mass at the tomb so even though the greatest uh, fruit was probably my prayer I think my greatest memory was the mission we were on while we were there which really echoes St. Ignatius who wanted to spend his life not only praying in the Holy Land uh, but he writes that he wanted to bear fruit in souls he wanted to help souls while he was there and so while we did one week of mission, really the entire trip was, I mean, when you're missionaries, you don't turn mission on and off. So we were praying with people, we were talking to people, we were having a lot of conversations with uh, people from all different faiths, but particularly at the school at Beit Zahor, uh, it was beautiful that throughout the week we were able to draw so close to the kids. And I played a lot of basketball, I played a lot of soccer with the kids, I had a ton of fun. And they didn't realize that I was doing it really in a way to gain their trust and get closer to them. And as much as much fun as I had, I'm not in Bates of Hor to have fun. I'm not in Bates of Hor to play basketball. Uh, I was in Bates of Hor to save souls. And so uh, by the end of the trip, by the end of that week, I was able to go into a class, a philosophy class where they were talking about morality and the teacher asked me to share. And I was able to challenge a lot of the kids on a lot of things and teach them different things. Uh, but more than that, at the end, I was just able to start preaching to them about Jesus's love and how all morality and how all things that we do flow from the love of Jesus and the love of the cross. And it was incredible that the next 48 hours we were there after that, so many of the kids came up to me and not that I was preaching to them, but they were asking me questions about Jesus then. And I was able to answer questions and I was able to pray with them and talk about the faith uh, simply because they saw the joy that we had and they saw that the love that we had for Jesus and they realized that our love for Jesus was what spurred everything else that we did. But we were so relatable and joyful that we were approachable as well. Uh, so I would just say some of the memories of preaching and praying with the kids in Bates Ahor at the school was most memorable for me. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up. Thank you guys for joining me and taking me through this. It's really been a pleasure uh, to just sit and hear your joy and also your prayerfulness and just the fruits of the experience. Uh, and I hope that this was everything you dreamed it would be, uh, this recording of it a podcast. Was. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, next week, Father John Ignatius will be joining me as he sits down to share about spiritual fatherhood in the Servants of Christ Jesus. As always, you can learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus, and you can find podcast episodes as well as homilies and talks from the Servants at scjesus.org. Thank you guys for joining me. Thanks, Ed. Thank Thanks, you. Ed. <laughs>